We are back with episode four of the Stay in the Game podcast, and I am your host, Trevor Field, owner and physical therapist at Form and Function Physical Therapy in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Here we got a a great episode for you guys, uh, something absolutely special. We have an interview, our first guest, Tina Wang, so I want you to check that out. You'll be uh, uh, hearing all about physical medicine and rehabilitation doctors and how uh, their role is uh, within the medical community and actually uh, what it would be like to uh, be treated in her type of practice. So I can't wait for you guys to check that out. Uh, This episode is jam-packed with uh, information about knee pain this month. So let's get cracking with the Stay in the Game podcast. So we're back and it's feeling like uh, it's been a while since uh, we've been together. Uh, had a bit of a spring break, a getaway, a vacation, so uh, highly recommended to recharge the batteries, get out, um, you know, see the world, travel, expand your mind, expand your uh, your boundaries here a little bit. Found our way to uh, Key West, Florida, got some fishing in, got some relaxation in. Back in the clinic, recharge, ready to rock and roll. Uh, clinic is absolutely jumping right now. Uh, tons of new patients coming through, so they've been finding us through all different methods. So if you still need some help, we still have a few uh, kind of appointment blocks available, but uh, things are filling up fast. If you know anybody who needs some help, send them our way. Um, yeah, again, things are going uh, just absolutely bonkers right now with spring, everybody getting active. Um, pillows have been a, a really big seller uh, over the last uh, several weeks since our last uh, podcast episode. So people are really finding that you know rest is a, a huge component of uh, their health and wellness. So um, if you ever need one, you know where to find us. But uh, yeah, that's what's going on in the clinic. Now on to uh, what we were here to talk about, and that was knee pain. So uh, tons and tons of issues uh, this time of year as people get more active, um, start getting out and about with uh, the weather starting to improve, uh, being out with the uh, April being uh, National Walking Month, um, just the amount of time and stress and pounding that people are putting on these knees, uh, they begin to wake up a bit. So it's it's definitely a, a condition that people um, suffer with a lot and a condition that we treat a ton of in our clinic. So there's all kinds of different types and sources and um, you know, reasons for people to get knee pain. And, you know, some people will just have nebulous kind of front of the knee, kind of generalized knee pain. And a lot of that tends to come from the patella. Um, People um, commonly get to the doctor and are told to strengthen their quadricep muscles, build this up, talk about the hips. But there's tons of really kind of minor things that a lot of people miss when it comes to rehabbing the knee. So, uh, you know, muscle tightness is a component. Muscle imbalances is a a component, just overuse or improper footwear mechanics. Maybe you have, uh, um, some genetic predisposition just based on how your body makeup is, but, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer with knee pain. People commonly just think, you know, you know, it's because I'm aging. I'm just, you know, expected to have knee pain. Um, their family history, the, everybody they think of back, um, through generations, they've all dealt with knee issues. So I'm going to deal with knee issues. 
Not always is that the case. Obviously, you can't change your genetics, but you can uh, optimize how your feet hit the ground with an orthotic or proper footwear. We can optimize your muscle length tension relationships with some corrective exercise with, um, you know, other techniques with a foam roller or a massage gun or just periodic maintenance, having a, a professional's eyes check things out. But a lot of things that get missed is just, you know, people talk about just commonly about strength training, strength, 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 just by lifting weights, getting on machines, getting to the gym and just kind of building things up. What they miss is that if we've, you know, put a lot of stress on our body over time, that stress manifests primarily in the spine. The spine health has a lot to do with our ability to activate some of these muscles. So we go back to uh, mobilizing and improving the nerve communication with some of these muscles so they can help shock absorb for your joints. So they can take some stress off of it when we're getting out and walking or performing sports activities or getting to the gym and doing the strength training that you love. If we don't have those muscles engaged, what people commonly just don't understand is you can't strengthen an inhibited muscle, meaning if that nerve isn't able to activate and recruit enough of those muscle fibers, that force production, that strength doesn't, isn't there in the balance that it needs to be. And it starts to put stress on our joints. And obviously the knee is, is one of those um, joints where a lot of these issues really begin to pop up. So, um, Obviously, it, it affects things, your ability to get to the gym. I've got people who are, you know, obviously setting goals even from New Year's coming through the office, even just uh, as recently as yesterday, uh, just beginning their, their journey of, of weight loss. And, you know, amazingly had a patient come in saying since last year has lost 94 pounds, is really trying to push um, to get out past that 5K um jogging distance to get up to have a, a, a really, you know, bigger goal of being able to do a half marathon. So, um, and obviously, you know, coming in and, and having some aches and pains and is concerned enough about obviously reclaiming her health to a degree of, of being able to do everything she wants to do. So she's trying to preserve her joints for the long, long term. So, uh, obviously that's an extreme example, you know, a 94 pound weight loss is amazing in and of itself, but you know, these are things that we've got to get on top of. So, you know, the, the other side of things is like, uh, with knee issues, people talk about kind of the crunching, the noise, the grinding, the, the snap, crackle, pop kind of issues when they either go up or downstairs or just when they squat down that knee clicks or pops. And, and they're, they're really somewhat concerned about it. Is it, is it damaging to my joint? Is it, uh, why does it make the sound? What, uh, what is it, what does it even mean? So having that kind of noise and those type of issues in the knee, um, I don't want you to think that, oh man, there's something damaged. It's going to take a surgery or it's going to take an injection, but it is a sign that something's going wrong somewhere. That joint should be able to slide and glide and be free from all of those things. Um, it's not just necessarily, well, if it hurts, it's bad, but if it doesn't hurt, it's just noise. We need to figure out what is going on. So gliding and sliding the kneecap around may have, um, a symptom of that grind or pop or click. And what's really going on there is that joint surface, the, the articular cartilage, it, it starts to look almost like the surface of the moon. It starts to get pocked. And when it glides over it, it gives you a sense of a click. Now, even when it's not painful or, or, or irritating, 
it's actually a sign that you got to start to work on restoring it because these are stages of how the cartilage begins to wear over time. Some of that wear can even happen in your teenage years. So that excessive stress from um, not having proper strength in your hips, putting stress on it, it begins to put that stress and the, the cartilage itself begins to soften. And that softening um, is what's called chondromalacia. That, that softening is start is what begins to happen in kind of that first phase and it makes you vulnerable to further injury to that tissue what you don't want is for that to continue and progress and and begin to thin and wear it down where eventually in your 40s 50s 60s you start to see some osteoarthritis changes in it so having those snap crackle pops is the the sign that Maybe I should really get this checked out, even though it's not stopping me from doing what I need to do. There may be just, you know, an assessment that needs to happen to see where are things possibly not working optimally. Then I need to go in and kind of make sure that, you know, nothing's really, really wrong uh, because there's things we can do about it. And the earlier we're able to attack it, the more cartilage we're going to be able to preserve, the longer you're going to be able to do what it is that you want to do. So I would encourage you that if you're having any kind of noise, Let's come in and get this thing checked out. So going and getting things checked out is, is a critical component of it. But I've also put out some information in a blog uh, about three quick fixes you think help knee pain, but that do the opposite. And I'm going to encourage you to check that out. Um, one of those topics that's in that blog post is actually wearing uh, an external support. Now, obviously, bracing is something that is a multi-million dollar industry. They do a great job of marketing. They get it in the hands of the people who think that they need it. But it may not be for everybody. Some of the people who are wearing braces are actually doing themselves a whole lot more harm than good. So if we've got an incredibly unstable joint where you step in the joint buckles, there may be some reason for us to put an external support on it to prevent really further damage or falling or injuring yourself further. But in probably better than 90% of cases, we really don't need it. What ends up happening is this external support um, causes you to really compensate. Your, your body has this external support, so your body stops using the internal support system to help the joint. And that internal support system is the muscle. There's a tons of good studies that show even just putting a band around the quadricep just above the knee, um, just that amount of pressure actually prevents that quadricep from firing. So if we're putting something that's constricting or even compressing, even in the lightest degree, just like a strap that would go around uh, a simple hinge brace, it actually prevents that quadricep from firing. So you actually cause more muscle atrophy or uh, reduce the firing that's happening in the muscle that should be helping to support it. So if you ever walk around or do activities without the brace, you're even more vulnerable to put stress on the joint. So I want you to kind of look into that blog, check that thing out. There's tons of other information. Go check those other uh, two quick fixes you think help knee pain out and then shoot me your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about that. And if you're having any kind of knee pains whatsoever or know somebody who's suffering with it, uh, we'd love to help them out. Also within that uh, blog post as well as in our most recent newsletter is a story of uh, Mike. Mike is a... Uh, um, a patient of ours who's been incredibly active, a hunter, um, somebody who does a lot of fitness boot camps, um, moved on to even triathlons at this point, who was dealing with a lot of knee pain. So I'd love for you to check Mike's story out. Um, 
his story may sound a lot like yours. Um, middle age, late 40s, early 50, um, dealing with some old knee issues and old surgery, um, still dealing with some stuff. And one of the things that he's actually done to help support his joint as it progresses and he ages and stays active, continuing to do what he loves, is joint NutriCare. So in particular, Formula One and Formula Two is something that Mike does and things that I recommend for our uh, folks 30 and over to really help support their joints. So Joint NutriCare uh, Formula One was our product of the month this month, and it has uh, collagen one, two, five, and 10 to help support uh, the cartilage as well as hyaluronic acid. Now hyaluronic acid, you probably have started to see even in just general commercials for skincare and joint uh, support. What it does is it binds water molecules to connective tissue. And why that's important is within that joint, if we can get some more fluid, some more nutrition in it. So th- uh, a painful joint generally has desiccation or a drying out. It doesn't have that fluid um, in terms of being able to help cushion the joint. Well, hyaluronic acid binds that water molecule to the connective tissue, so you actually have a bit more cushion. You have a bit more fluid within the joint to help maintain it. And then even Formula 2, which helps with the inflammation component of it. But we love Formula 1. It's joint sparing. It has the sulfur to help support uh, the joint, olive leaf extract, and a bunch of other components. If it's something that you think... uh, might help you out. We'd love to get it in your hands and uh, let us know what you think of it. And I want you to buckle up right now because now's the time that I want you to tune in for the interview that I recorded with uh, Dr. Tina Wang of Tupelo Point Healing Arts. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. So this is a a great way to start our first interview, our first guest with our Form and Function Stay in the Game podcast. Today, we brought you Dr. Tina Wang from Tupelo Point Healing Arts. Uh, Tina and I have come across each other several years ago. I'm always out here kind of looking for uh, new providers, people that we can kind of um, widen our network with to make sure our clients are getting absolutely the exact thing that they need the way they need it. Get them out of pain, get them back to sport, get them back to kind of living their life the way they need to live it. So uh, welcome, Tina Wang from Tupelo Point. Thank you for having me. I'm such a pleasure to be here this morning with you. So not a lot of people know uh, about PM&R. So that is a, a kind of a specialty in medicine. And uh, I want you to just kind of speak on kind of your education and kind of what makes you different from the traditional kind of medical model and approach that you take versus like if you go to have like a back pain issue and you go see your traditional doctor. What is it that you do and wh- why, um, why do you do what you do? Yeah, um, what a fantastic question. It's a small specialty, but it's a growing specialty and popularity. I believe in the last couple of years, it's been up there with neurosurgery and dermatology as one of the specialties really pursued by young doctors in training. And PM&R is a field that grew out of a combination of fields post-war, post-World War II. Um, And it stands for physical medicine and rehabilitation. What we focus on as a specialty is function. So you may have MS, a neurologic disorder, sports disorder, um, movement disorders. And what we focus on is what is the medication management? What is the movement management? What are the modalities like TENS and electric stimulation? How do do your therapists fit into this whole role of getting you back to better function? We look at imaging, we use ultrasound, we use injection techniques, and we really guide the treatment team. 
um, in particular, so it's a specialty in medicine. And we uh, really play a large role in pain and sports. So a lot of folks might see a sports medicine doctor and they are a subspecialty of PM&R. And um, I specialize in particular subspecialty in fascia. So anything connective tissue disorder, that's uh, my research interest. That's where I specialize in the type of injections that I do and collaborate with people all over the world to see how we can improve treatment of the fascial system. And where does this show up? Shows up in sports injuries, connective tissue disorders like Ehlers-Danlos, hypermobility that we see in dancers and gymnasts. Um, so it, it's really the management of this fascial system to make you the best athlete possible or you the best possible at whatever it is you do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we've kind of seen in our relationship is uh, folks that have either significant joint instability or like you mentioned, kind of dancers with lower back kind of issues, all that hypermobility, that ability to flex and do what you need to do to dance and do cheer and uh, stunt and do these type of things. Uh, those folks that uh, maybe show a, a, a red flag upon examination with us, we love to get you involved early to see how we can make the joint move better first and, and be able to protect itself so we can get them kind of back to the sport specific things that they're doing. So that's kind of how uh, our relationship has kind of worked to this point. Um, so uh, you mentioned kind of uh, the clinical side of things, but you got a lot of stuff going on. You're, uh, you're also doing some teaching. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, part of the week I, um, at a local university, I teach doctors in training. So really at a basic level, I'll get medical students from all around the universities, all around, um, and they come rotate through. And then I get the actual licensed doctors who are training in the PM&R specialty, as well as occupational medicine, orthopedics, they all rotate through. And we teach them the basics of PM&R. How do you do a basic exam? Um, what are the anatomic features? What, how do we do an injection? How do we do an injection safely? So part of my time is spent teaching and training the next generation of doctors and inspiring them to um, be the best that they can, whatever that looks like. Because some of them, they want to go out and do bread and butter medicine. Fantastic. Let's make sure you do it the best way possible, whatever your interests are. Um, and some of them want to trailblaze and how do you support that? And one, one of uh, our star residents, he's gonna be famous one day, you, you gotta watch for him. And he's, he wants to change the medical system, the entire infrastructure and the politics of it and the system set up uh, for this, um, all the difficulties that you face in accessing good care. Um, and how do, how do we as teachers inspire and grow that even though that's not our interest and that's not our passion. Um, so that's what I do part of the week and I absolutely love it. I just absolutely love it. They ask interesting, difficult questions. They always challenge me. I have to stay on top of the literature. I have to do research um, because they challenge me. And it's fantastic for my growth and their growth as well. 
And you mentioned kind of flipping the, the medical model. I mean, medicine's almost getting a stigma at this point of being the place where you go get a prescription. And that's one of the reasons that I love uh, your guys' approach where, you know, you you take the time and, and being in a practice like you have. So um, to kind of speak on that, you're in your own private kind of niche practice where um, you're, you're not kind of bound by um, insurance reimbursement. You're not bound by what the, the traditional medical model is. You can kind of treat the patient uh, the way they need to be treated without having to jump through, you know, crazy hoops, cutting red tape left and right. So um, if you want to speak to that, what kind of drove you to open uh, your business Tupelo Point uh, and kind of model it in this way? Yep. Um, I lost you for a second, but I got the whole question. Am I still there with you? Yeah, we're right on. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, you know, it, it's very interesting because um, the the model you have is very similar to the model I have. And it's individualized care because we cannot, yes, in the beginning when I work with students and residents, we have to teach a foundation. And that foundation might look like a formula. But when we get into real patient care, it's individualized. You can try to extrapolate some of the, the things we learn from research studies, but it's the person in front of you. And every single person is unique. Um, and we have to take the time and attention to these things that make patients unique. The modern medical system is so broken. Um, one of my dear colleagues, he's been in medicine for 80 years, and he says, do you want to be a doctor for the patients, or do you want to be employed by the HMOs and the insurance companies? And that's what we get, right? When we go in to see our doctor, we can't complain. We bought into the system. Your insurance company likes to pay your physical therapists $6, $12. And that's after they fight for months. Um, on a good day, they're reimbursing $44. No one can keep the lights on. We have overhead, and then we need to take home some money to just pay for food. Um, and patients don't realize that. It's not an excuse. And I tell them it's not an excuse, but you have to understand the system you bought into. And at the same time, when you come see someone like me, someone like you, right, a patient comes in to see us, they are putting value into themselves. Someone who's going to give them the attention that they deserve. It's, it's very difficult to ask that of providers in the mainstream system when, you know, I've seen very, very good providers and they cannot de deliver the care they want to. But it's a choice. When we wake up every day, uh, you and I did not just wake up and step out and say, we want to start a business and open a clinic and put out all this business, as the, all this time and energy and take all this risk on because it's fun. Mm -hmm. We woke up and we said we wanted to be doctors. We wanted to be therapists. We wanted to help patients. But in the system that we were in, that we were trained in, that cannot occur. And we chose, we chose to take the risk to set a different course. And that is what you get when you come in to see us, a different type of medicine, individualized, attentive, that cannot occur in that conventional system. 
Yeah, and I think your website does a kind of a great job of explaining what that is when you describe kind of bespoke medicine, uh, a bespoke medicine practice. It's just really providing what the patient needs rather than, you know, catering to the system that you're dealing with. So as those that are kind of listening, I want them to kind of hear more to kind of picture them as a potential client in your practice. Who are you seeing? What type of patients? What kind of conditions? You mentioned a couple with fascia issues, uh, uh, Ehlers-Danlos, um, and that you told me even before we came on uh, live that um, a lot of your patients are even coming from out of state and traveling quite a distance to find you because of the, the real specialty nature of what it is that you do. But I want to hear more kind of about the types of patients, the conditions more specifically, because not everybody understands fascia in, in the kind of levels. So we, we're kind of speaking high. I want to bring this down to kind of <clears throat> the patient's perspective so they can kind of see themselves as a potential client or when they would want to access uh, someone like yourself. Yeah, um, fantastic question. Um, so my practice, I, I go through and look at all my data almost on a weekly basis to, I follow all my patients to see where their outcomes are. And so um, I love answering this question because I get to throw out my data. I'm a data-driven person. So uh, about a third of my practice is made up of Ehlers-Danlos or hypermobile spectrum disorder patients mm -hmm. who come in, who need coordination of care, who need um, someone to address their connective tissue. Um, it, it's a burgeoning field um, and patient population. And I do my research in fascia and in EDS patients. So they come in to get this specialized type of care. The other one third is for chronic illness patients. And it might be chronic pain, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, autoimmune, not specified. No one knows what's going on with me. I have no idea that type of patient for routine fascial maintenance because through the fascia, the connective tissue, we can influence the immune system. That is where the autonomic nervous system, the fight or flight system, cross-links, cross-talks with the immune system, with all these allergic responses, these autoimmune responses. So these patients come in for routine fascial work once a month, every three to four months, depending on how bad they're doing or how well they're doing. Um, and then the last one third um, are my um, very savvy patients. They come in with acute injuries. They're smart. They're, they're really smart. They know um, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. They know they don't have time to muck around with the conventional medical system um, and wait for someone to give them a pill or MRI or whatever it is. Uh, they come in and they get the problem fixed. I love those patients. They're so gratifying because in one or two sessions, you get them spiffed up and out the door they go. They love to come in at five in the morning, six in the morning because they've got busy lives. And in part of that are those awesome athletes that you send me, that you, you send them in for um, specifically addressing what is this issue, prognostication, we put, put the ultrasound because I understand how the intrinsics and the extrinsics and the uh, neurologic system interplay then I can take a look and we can look at a full labral tear and say that thing will stay stable. There's no functional deficit. This guy is good to go, right? Um, we can see stuff like that. And that's part of that acute category of, 
uh, in these athletes of not needlessly doing procedures if they're, you know, they can be rehabable. So kind of speaking to that, I want to kind of get into some of the the tools you use, the treatment approaches that you have, because obviously we talked about like not necessarily writing a script, but uh, um, outside of kind of imaging and making sure that we're diagnosing things properly, um, what in terms of a treatment, what uh, what's in your toolbox per se that people would uh, potentially be having access to that you wouldn't necessarily get from a traditional like doctor's appointment? Yeah, you, you know, so I, I um, a shout out to my highly trained sports medicine folks. One of my colleagues, uh, Kentaro Nishi out at, um, in Pennsylvania, um, these folks were highly trained and he's highly trained. And I uh, attend a lot of groups with him. Um, we, we're very skilled at ultrasound diagnosis. On top of that, we're very skilled at looking at out of the box things. So I work with Antonio Stecco on looking at the deep fascia. So this is the stuff when you put the ultrasound on, everybody else ignores, or you'd get an MRI. Everybody else ignores these black lines that go around. That's the stuff that fascinates me. They're millimeters. And we look at, oh, that changed by 0.8 millimeters. We know that's pathologic. We know that's yanking on the joint. We gotta get that resolved, right? So this is the stuff we look at is that connective tissue in there that no one else is looking at that plays a huge role in the body. So when a person comes in, I'm looking at these things. If they come in with an MRI, I'm looking at this connective tissue property. I'm using ultrasound. I'm looking at these, uh, these changes all around in the body, around where the uh, pathology or the issue is that the person is coming in with. And then I use a fascial sequencing technique um, created and developed by the Steckos using uh, years of research and fresh cadaver uh, dissection. Um, and I do research with Antonio to continue to explore how these uh, connective systems interplay. So in a evaluation session, I am doing a fascial sequencing technique, meaning head to toe. If the pain is in the ankle, is it from that old clavicle shoulder injury? If the issue is in the low back, is that the low, that old ankle injury? Um, and there's techniques that we use to sequence. So I sequence the patient, I figure out where the, these pathologic chains are occurring. And then I might use injection to treat these. So I developed an injection technique with Antonio Stecco, where we use a small, tiny lead, needle, ultrasound guided, and we're using saline to wash out these pathologic areas and to disrupt that mechanical stickiness in there. And uh, we, we've termed that uh, technique uh, fascial hydromanipulation to differentiate it from some of the other injection techniques that you'll see pain doctors and sports medicine doctors use, because it is different. We're specifically treating the paramecium in the muscle. Uh, we're treating the deep fascia that sits on top of it and the superficial fascia that is even, you know, right under the skin. And we're using this injection technique to treat all of these layers in a fascial sequencing technique. And I might do prolotherapy with this. And prolotherapy is an induction technique. It's like PRP. It's that PRP is just the stuff we put in the needle to inject, injectate. But it's the technique 
where we're going into the areas where there's weakness in the ligaments and tendons and we're strengthening that up. Um, so that is the, uh, a typical visit that you might see. Uh, I might use manual therapy um, after the injections to finish breaking up some of these uh, areas that are not gliding well. And then the last part is correcting the movement because now we've released everything, that poor movement pattern that may have developed because of all of this abnormal fascial patterning. Um, now we got to get you to move better. And I might start that off and it might look really simple and basic. I tell my students all the time, it's not the tool, it's the correct application. So it looks really simple. It looks really stupid. I tell patients, look, I know this looks stupid. You start here and then go see Trevor. He'll finish you up. Go see him routinely. He will get you moving correctly. And that's the thing, like a, a typical kind of referral out, um, it, it doesn't go to a traditional PT because you mentioned kind of the medical model. What I found is the folks that are coming to me from other locations, they find themselves either just set up on a machine and walked away from because they have to do so much volume. There isn't that personalized one-on-one -on -one attention. So it, when we get to this level of detail, when you get to this level of care, you kind of got to get to the, the people who um, treat in this kind of approach, not saying we're obviously the only ones that do these things, but it's, it's, you know, you gotta just do your research and know who can do what it is that you really need. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that is, um, the only type of therapist that I can refer to because we have to load that tissue correctly. Yeah. So you cannot, it's not just, Oh, you go on that machine and Oh, well, he's not paying attention to me. No, it's detrimental because your therapist, highly trained therapist is not making sure that tissue is being loaded correctly. And if it's not loaded correctly, all my injections could just go out the window. So it's absolutely crucial to find a therapist like you, who's attentive to the details because it, the devil is in the details. Always. I mean, and like you mentioned, kind of these simple movements and all I think about is like uh, <laughs> scrolling reels and seeing TikTok therapists that try to do something that looks really cool and gets a ton of likes. And uh, it just uh, it just drives me <laughs> bonkers to see some of that stuff. But uh, I kind of wanted to move on and kind of talk a bit about things. So you mentioned kind of all the research things. I, I did my research before coming on here and I see that you co-authored an entry in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation titled the uh, pulmonary rehab for COVID-19. So how did you get involved in stuff like this? And tell me a bit about kind of what the, the findings and outcomes for uh, that was, because obviously we're still uh, on the tail end of getting through this pandemic. Yeah, um, thank you for pulling up that article and reading it. Um, it it's about really, I think it epitomizes uh, PM&R's role <clears throat> in the medical system as a whole. If you can find one of these doctors, we not only pay attention to your medical health, but the functional outcomes. What is happening with these folks and how do we step in early to decrease disability, right? If we get these patients in early and get them moving and across the board, that's what I'm hearing is that with these techniques, we keep the patients out of the hospital. And so uh, with these techniques, I, I've kept all of my patients out of the hospital. One had to have some major workup for clots and um, pulmonary embolisms, uh, EKGs. But other than that, we kept all the patients out of the hospital. Now, post-COVID is a whole different beast. 
And, and that's something that I've walked quite a few patients through. It is treatable, um, but again, it's outside of the box thinking perfect, right up the PM&R alley, right up the fascia alley. And a lot of the things that I've learned working with EDS patients translate exactly into this post-COVID syndrome. I'm not saying they're the same, but a lot of the pathology in the connective tissue is very similar. Yeah, awesome. So uh, I don't want to keep you too, too long. I know we've got a, a, a bit of time, but I did cyber stock you on Yelp to kind of see what your clients were saying about you and you in several re reviews of those clients mentioned uh, your advice regarding diet. I find that either most doctors either don't feel comfortable educating on the topic or, or obviously they don't have the time because they're in that model. Um, how in depth are you getting with that advice and what kind of percentage do you feel like diet's really impacting the body's ability to heal and, and do what it needs to do? Right. Um, I tell patients two things, right? Because they, they get lost in all the recommendations that I give them. Um, so I tell them two places to start. Fix your sleep, fix your diet. Your diet doesn't need to be perfect, but those are the two foundations. We don't even have to talk about anything else, right? We don't need to talk about your fancy pills. We don't need to talk about IV infusions. Um peptide therapy, whatever other else fancy buzz, sexy thing there is, we don't need to do any of that. If you're not going to fix your diet and your sleep, it's fundamental. Absolutely. No foundation, nothing else will work. Absolutely. And that's the education we give is like sleep is where tissue heals at its fastest rate. It's where the body rejuvenates and repairs. So if we're not getting proper sleep, like it doesn't matter what we're doing in clinic, we're, we're not going to get you the outcome at the speed of which we could otherwise get you the outcome or maybe not even at all. So yeah, that's, that's critical. So now that uh, we know a bit about Tina and her practice, uh, I want to know that when you're not using this big brain to fix people and put out all this awesome information, uh, what do you get into when you're not working? What do you do for fun? Yeah. You know, I practice quite a bit of yoga. Uh, it's, um, termed Vinny yoga, but it doesn't do its justice because the um, type of yoga that I do tries not to have a name or label, but it's quintessential yoga. So I, I do a lot of it's meditation-based yoga. So a lot of meditation. Um, I've gone into horseback riding, equestrian, and I've really slowed down on the dancing. That's been a tough one. You'll hear um, professional dancers tell you all the time they can't get back into the studio. And it's the perfectionism, the PTSD that comes with um, the control of the body. So um, the yoga and the horse riding has, have been very healing for me. And I try to take my family along for the ride as well. Sometimes you'll see me running. I hate running, but I'll, I'll do it for, um, I call it functional movement. It's joyful movement. I'm spending time with the family and you'll, you might see me out there, uh, huffing and puffing with very poor form because I'm just trying to spend time with my family. Just trying to move. That's, that's everything. Movement is life. And if you're not moving well, then your enjoyment of it is obviously taken away. So now that we know a bit about you, uh, um, you're still taking clients. You still, there's still some spots where we can get some of these people in if they've listened to this and they need your help. Absolutely. Just have them uh, send an inquiry through the website. We just have to make sure we're a good fit because that's where oh. healing begins. Absolutely. So how do, uh, how do our clients get a hold of you if they need your help? 
um, just go to my website, uh, tupelopoint.com, and there's an inquiry form. Fill out the information, and I will give you a call back. Awesome. Thanks, Tina. Thanks for joining us, everybody. That was uh, Tina Wang, Tupelo Point Healing Arts. So that was our interview for the week. And that man, uh, in the middle of it, you could just tell um, she's just so passionate and so just sharp about what what it is that she does. Um, I looked back at the clock and realized, man, I kept her <laughs> a lot longer than she had uh, budgeted time for. So that's always a sign of a, a great interview when you're just in flow and you know time just whizzes by. So um, yeah, if you're ever in need of anything from uh, Dr. Tina Wang, she is uh, the best. You know, yeah, when you're teaching doctors how to do what you do, and a good per- percentage of your clients fly in from out of state, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, you got something special going on. So that rolls us into our health tip and trick of the month and, uh, uh, staying on our same vein of knee pain and, uh, exercise and tips for knees. Uh, our tip and trick of the month is when we are sitting, I want you guys to try to avoid sitting with your knee bent 90 degrees for long periods of time. So there's something called the movie sign. If you sit for long periods of time and those first steps are uh, just miserable. So like a two-hour movie and you get up and you're like, oh my God, my knees. It takes you four or five steps to not uh, feel uh, crippled. Then I want you to um, make sure that we're progressively moving the joint. So the purpose of that is um, we allow that joint fluid to circulate and bathe the joint surface. So it's not going to be anywhere near as stiff and painful when we get up and start moving. Secondarily, if we're stuck with the knee bent, a couple of other issues are happening. One, you're actually causing a a bit of a kinking of the capillary system. So you're reducing blood flow, circulation, nutrition, which is obviously actually why you have some of that swelling. If you get on an airplane, if you do a lot of air travel, uh, swelling in the legs happens from even just being stuck with the knee bends prolongs periods of time. So making sure that we allow circulation and nutrition to it, but also there's a bit of compression. There's good studies that show when the knee's stuck at 90 degrees, the joint surface of where the meniscus is, as well as where the patellar cartilage uh, meets that bone, there is high volumes of compression that are happening there. So not only are you losing circulation and not perfusing it with uh, the joint fluid and keeping that bathed, it's actually causing some compression, which is one of the reasons it gets so painful. So don't sit with the knee bent prolonged periods of time. And that's our health tip and trick of the month. And that brings us to our monthly promotion. And that is for acupuncture. Um, We love acupuncture here at Form and Function and find that it is actually one of the most affordable and effective ways to get rid of pain. Um, We've seen Dr. J here perform... um, Miracle might be a little excessive, but it may not be. He's actually done some things that I have never seen before getting patients relief very, very quickly. And... Right now, through the end of the month, four sessions, you can get up to $20 off. Uh, With an eight-session package, he will take as much as 10% off. So even without some of these deals, again, it's one of the most affordable and effective ways to get rid of pain. And if you've never tried acupuncture before and uh, you've really been considering it, now's the time to do it because you can do it with a discount. Four sessions, 20 bucks off, and up to eight sessions for 10% off in total. So 
Come get booked with Dr. J and get your relief with acupuncture. And as we roll into the end of the podcast, we are going to bring you the question of the month. And it's a question that I get frequently. What's the worst thing you've ever seen as a PT? So in terms of kind of uh, worst things, what I... I kind of qualify some of this. This is actually a condition. It's somewhat sad in terms of what what, what happened to this client, but it's actually all the way back when I was a student. I was doing clinical rotation at the University of Minnesota, and I was at the hospital, and we were doing our clinical rotations and getting kind of a... a head count. We're doing rounds and getting heads up on what each individual client was. And there was a, a client that they were saying really had uh, kind of a, a bad attitude. They were somewhat abusive to staff and and really kind of aggressive toward uh, the people that uh, were were trying to treat them and help them out. So this was uh, acute. We're in the hospital. This is post-operative, even a, a day, a few hours, or a few days just for recovery in the hospital. And uh, so I got the draw to take this client. And what had happened was uh, the history was this is a young guy, uh, late 30s, early 40s gentleman who uh, had what's called an anterior hemipelvectomy. So he developed a, a condition, basically an osteosarcoma. It's a type of very aggressive cancer, which does not have a very high survival rate. They found this uh, cancer actually in his hip. So in his 30s, he had gotten a hip replacement, thought they'd wiped out all of these uh, questionable cells and you know, thought that this would uh, be good. But not long after, this aggressive cancer returned and they actually had to take a good portion of his pelvis and his entire leg as an amputation. So uh, just took some time. And when I, I walked into the room, obviously, you know, the the warnings, the, the you know, admonitions of the, the, the staff and the doctors were, were and the nursing staff and the previous PTs who worked with them were just like, hey, you know, watch out for this guy. He's he's a certain way. And so I just walked in and, and just kind of asked him some questions and, and it seemed like he was an incredibly reasonable guy. We just at this point of his rehab, just needed to have him sit up in bed, um, you know, just to kind of get his blood pressure and blood flow moving, uh, just to get his core working rather than just lay in bed and try to develop pneumonia. We just needed to get him to sit at the edge of the bed. Uh, and this was something that the staff was really struggling with. So, um, took it slow and just asked questions of, you know, what the experience was like, what he's feeling. And just, you know, he, he's just, really worked with me very, very well. And what I came to understand is that nursing staff walks in, it was a transaction. It was just a, a task that the, the nursing staff had to complete. Uh, the other PTs and otherwise that were trying to work with this guy to get him moving, it was a transaction. It was somebody on their schedule that they just needed to do something with and kind of treated him in that way. Once we figured out that, look, if you understand and kind of get into this guy just suffered an incredible, incredible loss uh, of a good percentage of his body. Like just stop and think about that. Like having a little bit of compassion, open this guy up and he worked better with a student than he did with all of this staff at a reasonably prestigious hospital, a research institution that was taking care of a, a really aggressive type of cancer. So it's, a horrible case in the fact that the guy lost his limb, but it's a learning experience of 
look, these are the little lessons I learned early in my career that made me want to open my own private practice. The way I see things is in terms of it being transactional, uh, insurance-based, what's covered, what's not. It's, I don't work for the insurance. I work for the client. I don't work for the hospital. I'm working with you, the individual, to get you the outcome you're looking for. So it was horrible that the guy lost his leg, particularly that young in life. But it was also a, a huge lesson for me to help kind of shape the way that I have learned to treat people and patients throughout my career. And that's a wrap for the Stay in the Game podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out our next podcast next month. It's all about sports. People are getting back to sports. The economy's opening up. Kids are getting back to activities. Little League's going in full swing. Uh, travel ball's coming. End of school year's coming. Uh, people really getting their summer seasons in. Uh, trying to make up for lost time. So it's all about sport injury, sport injury management, how uh, – we deal with a lot of these type of issues. So go check that one out. If you're into sports or you know somebody into sports, point them to uh, next month's podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share this out to everybody you know so they can listen to the Stay in the Game podcast. Thanks again. Have a great one.